You're listening to Cindy's Voice, a podcast that aims to raise awareness and advocate for the enslaved in an effort to end sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Together, we're a community that educates, equips, and empowers you to take action against modern-day slavery. Every episode, we bring you inspirational stories of survivors who have been through the ordeal of human trafficking and sexual assault. In addition, we interview key advocates in the anti-trafficking movement and have them share their comments on the detrimental effects of human trafficking in our society. Now, here is your host, Cindy. Welcome welcome back to Cindy's Voice Podcast. I am Cindy Rivero, your host. It's been a little while, guys, isn't it? A lot of things are happening. Some cities are reopening, finally. Some others going to a lockdown. Our lives since COVID are definitely different. We're all adapting to a new lifestyle, huh? I'm definitely doing it <laughs> no doubt about it i hope you're adapting too remember life is beautiful sometimes it brings you some clouds but clouds don't stay forever so keep with the positive attitude to ease your day um let's jump into business now <laughs> our topic today is trauma therapy we are going to define trauma we will focus or try to focus especially on sexual trauma or as much as we can because that's the nature of our podcast, right? Nevertheless, talking about trauma in general is imminent today and we'll be talking about it as well. And who else is better than our amazing guest, Anna Cardona? Yeah! Most of you remember her, of course, but for those who are just tuning in, Anna is a clinical social worker from Palm Beach County, Florida. She's here today with us to chat and help us understand a little bit more about what trauma entails. A very interesting topic indeed. You don't want to miss it, so let's welcome Anna now. Anna, welcome back. It's been a few weeks since the last time we had you. How are you, Anna? I'm doing well. Thank you so well. much. I'm doing well, Cindy. How are you? I am very good. Thank you very much for asking, Anna. It's been a while since the last time that you've been here with us, but I'm very glad, very, very glad that you are here with us today. And we have very exciting news to share with you guys. Anna went back to school. Yay! Yay. I'm going for my doctorate. Oh, doctorate! Oh my God! <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> I'm so excited for you. Oh my God, Anna! I love education. So congratulations! I wish you the best. Ooh, I'm so excited for you. Amazing. And so let's jump into the first question. We got this question in different ways. Um, 
it's uh, related to the common therapy approaches out there and we're focusing into sexual therapy okay um, this is what we do in here we talk about human trafficking and sexual exploitation so we're going to talk about these sexual trauma therapies how many of they are what do they do just for the, the survivors the victims and the uh, community uh, to know which is the best uh, for you if you know somebody who um, passed through very similar situation and you want to advise this person you not only have to advise on going to therapy but it would be good and better if you already do your homework and suggest a specific therapy uh, but this is just a suggestion again this has to be with what you like and how you feel comfortable with the therapies and with the type of therapy that you will be receiving so as a friend as this person that is having a back for this good friend that is suffering this much um, thank you so much for staying here and actually wanting to learn about it and ask all these questions i'm surprised um, about how much people care for others and so thank you thank you thank you thank you without you following up and actually asking those hard questions we wouldn't know exactly how to guide this show this podcast for you guys so thank you thank you thank you for your participation it's been incredible i really appreciate it so we have been over some topics in the past but we're going to touch a little bit on those again and answer your questions so i guess my question to you anna will be if a person is thinking into actually stepping doing this step looking for therapy and knowing that is trauma therapy what type of trauma therapies exist does the person just go and read about it online and say that hey i would like to try the horse therapy or do you go to a regular therapist and uh, start explaining why you are visiting and then they will suggest or recommend a specific therapy how do you handle this specifically in your private practice Okay, so when we're working with someone, so someone comes to my office for the first time and they've heard about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, or they'll tell me, I know about CBT, or I know about EMDR. Um, usually those are the two that I usually get uh, people coming to me and telling me that they've heard about. And they wanna know like which one is the best one. So I always tell everyone to please understand that there are many different approaches to helping trauma survivors and you would choose the best one for you. So if you have your best friend who went to a trauma therapist and they did something called a prolonged exposure therapy with that person and it helped that person, it doesn't mean that prolonged exposure therapy is gonna help everyone. You probably tried prolonged, prolonged exposure therapy and then it doesn't work for you. It doesn't mean that your trauma is worse or not as bad as, as your friend. It just means that that's a therapeutic approach that doesn't work for you. So this is a conversation that's really good to have with your therapist. And then if they use more of what we call like an eclectic approach, which means that they take from different therapeutic approaches and see which one is a better fit for you, then, then that would be good so that they'll know uh, which one will work. So 
the only the only thing that I would say is like um, if you're going to be doing EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization re- and reprocessing, that desensitization. <laughs> I always have a problem saying that word, but EMDR, <laughs> EMDR. Um, you have to be certified in EMDR. So you you want to make sure that if you're working with the therapist and they say, oh yes, I know EMDR you want to ask them if they are certified because there's a long process that they have to go through a lot of training to make sure that they're doing this correctly right um yeah because there's some people that say they know about tapping or they know about using the lights but they haven't been certified in it so um it is important you as the the consumer you as the survivor you feel comfortable enough to say are you certified in that if they say no, then I suggest you don't get that type of treatment from that person, that you find a therapist who is EMDR certified. Now, when I started treatment, I started my, my profession, uh, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, there was no certification. So now I was told that there is a certification for trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy or what you call CFCBT. Um, so when you're working with someone and they tell you they're not certified, then maybe you would, you can probably work with that person because the certification is fairly new. So you can work with someone who knows about trauma-focused CBT, but if you want someone who is certified, now there's a certification. So I'm telling you this that because is this is all new. Started. A few years back that I, okay. I'm aware of, I can tell you that when I was trained in, in uh, trauma-focused uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, I believe it was like a 2013, 2012, and there was no certification. And then I was just told uh, by someone who I work with who just stated that there is one. So I'm not sure how long it's been, but it's, it's been but no more than 10 recent. years. Yeah, it's, it's okay. no more than 10 years. So I say that because some people know about it and know some techniques. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, prolonged exposure therapy, that also you need to be certified. Now I say this because sometimes survivors, you know, they meet a therapist and they don't feel comfortable asking for their certification because they feel like, I don't want to ask that therapist because I don't want them to think that, that I believe they don't know what they're doing. If I always recommend that you always ask these questions. Are you licensed? Are you certified? Um, do you have trauma training? How much trauma training, right? Because you don't, you want to work with someone have you ever worked with victims, with, with uh, sexual abuse survivors? Have you ever, uh, do you know about human trafficking? Do you, you want to ask these questions? Because sometimes they'll tell you, yes, I have trauma uh, therapy, but they don't have that extensive trauma therapy, um, uh, sorry, training that, that you need to truly work with survivors. Yeah. So there's another things. There's like narrative exposure therapy, which I will be talking about later on. You like writing and you're processing your thoughts. There's cognitive processing therapy. There's somatic therapy. There's mindfulness. So again, there's a lot of different types of therapy. And I say this because if you try one, don't be saddened and thinking that there's nothing out there for you. There's a lot of different approaches that we can use to help you. So please don't just stop with one person. So 
just to go over and resume. One, choose who you want to go to. Two, check their backgrounds, their experience. Um, more likely they are clinical experience, certifications, you know, on hands. Let's see how much on hands they have been. That's with the clinical experience. And then three, try, uh, try a, a few appointments with that person, maybe two, maybe three. That's enough for you to actually know if you would like to continue with this person or if you need to look for somebody else because that person is not aligning with with what you like or how you feel and 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 then it's not an immediate click okay um, that's that's what I'm understanding am I correct Anna thing is that when you go to seek a therapist I want you to be aware that a good trauma therapist understands that you're not going to tell them your whole story in the first visit that we understand that we have to create a relationship with you and create a safe place for you to feel comfortable enough and have already got over the techniques that you need, the coping mechanisms that you need. So when you're ready to talk about your story, you know how to calm your body down when you start, when your body, that somatic therapy, right? That when your body starts responding to the, the, the flashbacks that you're getting or, the, or, or just discussing your trauma history, we have to prepare you for that. So a good trauma therapist doesn't just dig, dig right into your trauma. We know that it takes a, a while. And during that time of getting to know you, we, we talk about different approaches and then we see wh what may be a good fit. And a good therapist can say, you know what, I think that maybe you would benefit from somebody who specializes, let's just say, somatic therapy. I don't know much about it. So let me see if we can refer you to a, a person that does somatic therapy. And then we can then work together. I'll work with that other therapist. They'll focus on that somatic therapy. And then you can either stay with that therapist or you come back to me. You know, so these are oh, the things that so you do. Yeah. Sometimes you can have two different therapies yes. at the same time with the same goal as well. Yes, yes, yes. So I could be working with, with a survivor and I'm not trained in EMDR, but then I know a, a therapist who is trained in EMDR. I will say, I think EMDR will help you process this thought. So it can be like a traumatic thought that even with all the techniques that we're using in the office, it's not really helping her. So I, to the survivor, her or him. So not helping the survivor. So I would then talk to that the survivor and say, listen, there is a therapeutic approach, EMDR. This person does it wherever it is, accepts your insurance or whatever it is, however I can connect that person, connect that person to that other therapist. We work together. So while they're getting EMDR, they're focusing on the EMDR, takes a few weeks, so up to 12 weeks sometimes. Then you're working with that person with EMDR, and then after that, they process that thought, and then they feel better, they can talk about it, they come back to see me. And that's mm -hmm. not very common, but it happens. Sometimes there can be a thought that just gets stuck in your brain, and the way your body responds to it, um, it's really hard to process and EMDR is a great approach. Does EMDR work for everyone? Again, no. I just want to put that out there because there's some people who feel that they don't do well with EMDR, so they don't do well with trauma therapy and that's not the case.
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important to clarify that there's a lot of survivors who have told me personally, no, uh, I didn't like the first session, so I'm not coming back to that specific person. And then try to another one, and they just don't like that type of therapy, and then they just get annoyed by it, irritated, and they they do think, yeah, it's not working for me, and they just stop. On the other hand, there is some of the survivors who have told me that because of how hard this therapy is, they have uh, their mind into stopping completely. So once they stop, uh, when they think that everything just passed, that there is time to relax and just to recover, they do find sometimes that their usual triggers from the past actually get kind of like amplified and so they get more uh, triggered more often or even worse now and so how is that how can this be possible mm, yeah so if you can give me just a couple of minutes to kind of talk about what happens in treatment if that's okay so I always explain this to someone when, especially when I'm first doing what's called the biopsychosocial assessment, which is I'm getting information about um, the person's um, health, the person's uh, mental health history, the person's support system. I get history because I'm more of a family uh, family systems therapist too. So I, I ask questions about the family to see if there's any intergenerational trauma. Uh, we'll t- we're going to be talking about that later on. Uh, so when I'm doing that work and then I'm describing uh, what trauma is, that's what's called psychoeducation. So in the beginning, it's a lot of psychoeducation, education about trauma and the way it can affect the body, what's anxiety, what's depression, all that. So that's kind of like the easy part. So it's like being kind of in a class, right? So I'm talking about these things, I'm showing videos. So you're getting comfortable with hearing the words and having better understanding. And so I describe this like a mountain, right? So you're like in the bottom of the mountain, we're getting the information, you're finally there, you're ready to start hiking. And then little by little, you were going up the mountain. So it's going from like psychoeducation to maybe you'll start talking a little bit about your trauma, what, how it's, um, how's it affecting your body? How's it affecting some of your relationships? But like on the surface, right? So then as, as you're going up the mountain, the more you're talking about the trauma, then you're getting more comfortable in the relationship. So you feel like you could disclose a little bit more about the trauma. Then you're learning and you're using the techniques that you learn when you're in the lower part of the mountain, you know, to deep breathing, grounding, you know, just, just being able to reconnect with your body when you're talking about the trauma. And then I always say that you always get to the peak, right? And that peak of, of that mountain is when really you're starting to do the work. And that's the time that a lot of people get really, really upset because I'm not upset, but they get really scared because they're really looking at their work. So then, you know, sometimes what happens at that part when they get to the peak is that they go back down the mountain a little bit. So they're like, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that trauma. So then we review the coping techniques again. We and if there's like a specific thought that's really hard for them to process, I might I might send them to someone who does EMDR to process that thought, to get them through that thought. 
Um, and then, you know, we reconnect and we go back up the mountain again. So then when you get up to that peak of that mountain, you, you feel a little bit more comfortable with talking about your story and your body doesn't feel like it's in danger when you're talking about your story. And then what happens at that peak is that um, you're able to process it a little bit more and then you start coming back down from the mountain. So it's never going to, when you get through that peak, and you start going down, the process after you go down is not going to be as significant as when you got to that peak. When I say significant, I mean that, that the fear, the feelings of danger, all of that stuff that comes up when you start talking about your trauma history, is not as significant as when you were at your peak. Can it be that when you start going back down the mountain, like going down to the, the healing side of the mountain, when you go back down, is there a possibility you might be going back up because maybe something you remember that you haven't thought about in a long time, yes, that happens. But we understand that, you know, it, it happens as long as you're, when you experience a thought or a trauma history, um, or you start processing something, as long as you know how to manage your response to that, know that you're in a safe place, that you're gonna have a good therapist, it's gonna help you get you to, through the other side of the mountain. And then the goal is to get to the bottom of the other side of the mountain with all the experiences that you had processing your trauma with those techniques that you learn how to take care of your body. Because we have to understand that PTSD and complex trauma is nothing that gets resolved and never comes back. It comes back sometimes. You could be watching a commercial and it could come back. You could smell yeah. something and you can have a flashback. But as Definitely. long as you know how to take care of yourself and identify when you are triggered and then take care of yourself, then that's when that's the that's the purpose of therapy, being able to live with your experiences and know how to better manage them. And I'm so happy that you are clarifying that, Anna, because I do mentor other survivors and I always tell them that this is like a journey, like just walking on a big road. When you get into this highway, you don't know where people are coming from and how long they have been walking this road. So you cannot compare your experiences with them or your learning process with them because you don't know if they started way long time ago or they are just like you starting as of today. And so part of all this is when I have to actually sit down with them and they tell me that they are doing this therapy because they want to forget what happens. It's like a magical thing, you know, delete cassette and everything. And this is not for deleting our brain. That's not going to happen. That's not realistic. And that is not the goal. The goal is to actually be able to have the most normal life with the memories and the um, acts, the 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 things that have happened to us. That's the purpose of therapy. Right, Anna? I always tell them this is like the internet. Once you post something in the internet, it's going to be there forever. There's no deleting cassette. There's no deleting brain. It's just being able to live in another way. And, 
that gets a message across is a good way. So the way you just <laughs> described it was a very good way to describe like our journey. Like it's really important for us to understand that we're going to be fearful of the flashbacks of, you know, and, and then sometimes uh, any part of our senses. So I say this because sometimes people are like, I must be going crazy. I don't know what triggered me and it could be something that's subconscious and I, if you remember in the i think in the first or second episode i don't remember when it was that i talked about the amygdala right and that middle oh, yes. part of your brain right that sometimes it can be an unconscious response so it could be something that you can't link to something that is conscious but your brain is saying something is dangerous and it's gonna uh -huh. give you all of those symptoms so understand that it has it's not that you're going crazy it's that your brain is trying to protect you so it's going to give you all of these symptoms what we have to do is create a village of people like a, a system a, a group of people in our lives that's going to support us so when we're going through those experiences they can help us normalize it like a good therapist a good doctor we need medication good supports good family good friends you know books other things like that that they can normalize your experience to help you heal and now that you mentioned the medication when is it necessary to jump from therapy to medication do we ask for it or do we wait for a therapist to actually suggest that intake of pills as um, you know um, along with our therapy process working with people that that's day one I talk about this um, I don't day one refer to a psychiatrist I don't I day one I talk about it because what happens sometimes is that people get very scared of medication right they get very scared of the word psychiatrist or psychiatric evaluation so well, that's because about this. everybody thinks that psychiatric goes by seeing a psychiatric you're cuckoo already yes. well, that's something exactly. wrong and that's not <laughs> but exactly. that's like the most the biggest taboo Psychiatric, yes. I'm crazy. Yes, yes, yes. So no, you're not crazy. Um, actually, <laughs> those are the best people to go to because they know about medications. So I, this is part of my psychoeducation that I talked about before, um, how important it is for us to understand that there are going to be some people that can, who can go through trauma therapy without medications, and there are some that will need medication. And how do you determine that? So it, it really depends on how um, processing the therapy affects the body, affects the person in all life domains. So, so life that, domains, make, that, that is something as, as for right now in this moment, how your reaction is, depending on that, you are going to need that as well or not. So it's not so much of what's happening at that moment. It's about the history, right? So and, and how it's affecting your life. So life domains are school, work, relationships, um, family, your health. So if I have someone who is so anxious that the thoughts of, of, of even processing trauma is making them very sick. I've had people pass out in front of me. I've had people urinate on themselves. I had people um, tell me that they're, they're getting sick. I had one person have a seizure in front of me. 
those are the kind of people who I believe will benefit from medication. Those people, who, my, my survivors who may have like night after night of nightmares, who might have like uncontrollable anxiety that they can't go to work, that they can't get out of the bed, that depression is so significant that it affects the life domains that's when I work with the survivor and I tell them, I remind them that we talked about it during the psychoeducation part and then remind them that, you know, that that is um, going to be helpful because sometimes the brain needs certain chemicals to help us better manage the way the brain responds to our trauma history, right? So there are FDA approved two medications to help people with PTSD. So the two medications are Paxil and Zoloft. So Paxil is prescribed for more anxiety, right? So that helps with people with anxiety and Zoloft helps with depression. Um, again, that's what the FDA approved. Now, psychiatry is very important that you get a full psychiatric evaluation because the psychiatrist can also use other medications besides Paxil and Zoloft you know, to help you with your anxiety and depression. So I don't want you, maybe if you go online, you say, oh, it's only Paxil and Zoloft. Why is he prescribing Lexapro? Or, or why is he giving me Effexor? Or why is he giving me um, another medication where they say only Paxil and Zoloft? Understand, just like the different therapeutic approaches that we have for trauma, there's a lot of medications that are out there and we have to figure out which medication is best for you. So um, there is a medication to help people with um, nightmares, and that's prezosin. So you could talk to the doctor and tell them, listen, I'm having these nightmares, and they'll probably prescribe prezosin, but probably not because maybe they believe that maybe it, the side effects wouldn't be helpful for you. Maybe you have other challenges. Maybe you're diabetic or maybe you have high blood pressure or maybe you have low blood pressure. So again, you're gonna be hearing the names of these medications. Don't just think about only those meds. That's why I always say, yes, your primary doctor can give you medication, but nobody knows these medications like a psychiatrist because that's all they have been trained in. They know the new medications that are coming out. And also not only psychiatrists, there's also psychiatric advanced practice nurses out there. So there are psychiatric APNs who are nurses who went back to school and specialized in psychiatric services and they can prescribe medication. So you can get medication from your primary doctor, Sometimes people go to the primary doctor when they first start getting symptoms. They might go there for a physical or they may be having a little depression. So they're really close to their doctor and say, listen, I think I'm depressed. I'm having these nightmares. And then the doctor says, okay, here, they almost always give Zoloft. So they'll tell you here, take like 175 milligrams or 150 milligrams of Zoloft. And then the person starts taking the medication. But I always say that's a really good start, but you have to get a psychiatric evaluation so that the psychiatrist can evaluate you and then try medications. Another thing I would like to please mention is that uh, when you start medication, please understand that there's a possibility that you're gonna have to go through several medications until you find your perfect fit. So mm -hmm. yes, so sometimes you could start with one medication 
and that doesn't work, you work on another medication and that doesn't work, but that's why you work with the psychiatrist. Sometimes people need what's called a cocktail of medication, which will yes. mean like you might need a Wellbutrin and a gabapentin, you know, and, and who thinks about using gabapentin for anxiety, but people are using gabapentin for anxiety and who knew that our psychiatrists are using those things so that's why i say always go to the specialist like when you're when you're diabetic you go to your endocrinologist when you have seizures you go to a neurologist so if you're having oh, challenges yeah, specialist. And just like that, a psychiatrist is a specialist. They've gone to school, they're doctors, and they, they know what medications are best for you. Of course, and yeah, definitely. And and, and even, um, you know, um, the doses. Sometimes you are good with one medication, but the whole doses is not good for you, so they need to reduce it or, or, or increase it, depending on, you know, uh, if you are getting more symptoms, but this medication works for you. So anyway, you always have to be in contact with your psychiatric as he's the best person or she's the best person to yeah. adjust that medication. I don't believe on soft medication where somebody already has the solof and says like, well, I feel a little bit down, so I'm going to take half of it. No, no. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, but you can't do that either. So and a great example is that because Zoloft, you have to be on Zoloft for four to six and sometimes eight weeks to truly yes. get the benefit of the medication. So these medications are not like a Xanax or Klonopin or Lorazepam, which are benzodiazepines, which I'm gonna ask everyone to please be careful with those benzodiazepines. Um, please make sure that you're working with a psychiatrist when you're taking those medications. I know a lot of people who might have an anxiety attack and might use their mothers, their grandmothers, their cousins, their aunts, you know, uh, Xanax, or they'll take like a, a lorazepam. You have to be very careful, especially like with clonopin, because there's some people who can be very sensitive and have seizures from a benzodiazepine. I know someone who actually took a clonopin from a friend because she was having a panic attack, something happened to her personally. As she started having a panic attack, her friend gave her a clonopin, right? She went, She it was a very low dose, 0.25, but even with a very low dose, she got in her car because she didn't feel like she was sick or anything. She ended up having a seizure as she was driving the car and crashed into a, a pole. So she didn't think at all that she was going to have a seizure from a benzodiazepine. It is one of the side effects and that's why it's so important that you never use anybody else's medication and you take the medication as prescribed. Now, if you feel like the doctor is giving you a medication that you know you're not going to take daily, then let the psychiatrist know because they can give you a medication that if you if you miss a couple of doses, you won't have a, a adverse reaction. So something like a Wellbutrin, you have to make sure that you take it as 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 often as as prescribed because Wellbutrin is another medication that if you mess with it too much and your body is sensitive, you can have a seizure because you have to take that medication, dopamine. So you have to take that medication as prescribed. So this is why I always say that. Your doctors are really good and your primary doctors, you have a good relationship with them, but it's best to talk to psychiatrists because you have to have these conversations with them. You have to be open. In the beginning, how it works is that you go to a psychiatrist, they give you a medication. Sometimes they ask you to come back two weeks later. Then they ask you, how are you doing on that medication? You tell them and they tell you, come back another two weeks. Then after that, one, if you're good, one month, then two months. 
then three months. And then when you're good and stable on the medication, they'll probably see you every six months. And then they'll, well, almost three to six months. And then they'll continue to monitor you. One more thing I want to mention is that sometimes you could take a medication and and the medication could be working just fine. And then all of a sudden the medication is not working because the body's processing it in a different way. It's, it's not that your depression got worse or something happened. Sometimes that happens with meds. It's important at that moment to go back to your, um, your psychiatrist and talk to them about that. So again, it's That's very- what they call that the body builds resistance yes. to the medication. Yes. Yes, yes. And it happens. The body does that. So if, if that does happen, that's why you have a good relationship with your psychiatrist and you say, listen, something's off about these meds. And they'll look at your medication. They'll tweak it. They probably replace it or tweak the medication and then tell you to come back in two weeks to see how you're doing. But any anytime you're working with the psychiatrist, it's very important that you have clear communication with your psychiatrist. You let them know what your side effects are. Is the depression getting worse on the medication? Do you start having suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts when you're taking the medication? Um, are you feeling more hyper? Do you feel manic? Do you feel like you're shopping everywhere? Um, do you feel like a totally extremely different um, on the medication? You gotta talk to the doctor about that. So they could tweak it and then you can start feeling the comfort that you deserve. You deserve to feel comfortable um, and as comfortable as possible, especially when you're trying to process and work through your trauma history. Well, good to know. I didn't know that that actually affects some behaviors and that there were like that second, um, you know, the secondary effects. I, I oh, ignored yes. that. I didn't know. So yes. well to know. And what is your stand on cognitive behavioral therapy for sexual assault and human trafficking survivors? Like, do you approach the same way? Can you explain a little bit what it is? Um, and then if it's the same approach for sexual assault or human trafficking, like, Basically, I think it's almost the same approach for both of them because of the sexual part of it, but I'm not sure. Okay, so cognitive behavioral therapy is a therapy that we use to start looking at the thoughts, at your thoughts, and how are you responding to your thoughts, and they're, they're called maladaptive thoughts, but really looking at the way you're responding to the your thoughts and your experiences. So cognitive behavioral therapy is good for some people and some people it isn't. So again, I always say, please, 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 if the cognitive behavioral therapy works for your friend and it's not working for you, it doesn't mean that you have, there's nothing that's gonna work for you. Remember we talked about this earlier, right? You could, you could do mindfulness, you could do prolonged exposure therapy, you could do EMDR, you could do somatic therapy, cognitive processing, or that's also about cognitive with the thoughts, but a narrative exposure therapy. There's all kinds of therapeutic interventions that are available for you. Um, so everybody always, a lot of people talk about CBT because it's very well known. Um, again, if it doesn't work for you, trust that there's other things that you could work on. Perfect. And I know that we already talked about that EMDR, which yes. is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Oh my God, that word is so hard. It is hard. Um, so <laughs> how, how it, it looks like. <laughs> it's been so hard. Every time I try to slow down, like if that makes the magic, which it doesn't, but it helps a little bit. So one day,
And so let's jump into the EMDR waters. What is EMDR really? Um, our followers are probably just thinking, what are they talking about? <laughs> and so let's just start explaining what EMDR therapy is. I do know about three different types. I know that there is a little bit more than three, but at least they're the most um, known, the most popular techniques out there. What I heard the most from other survivors in this industry are um, the clapping chills, the sounds and the images. So we are going to stop right now we have part two that is coming in our next episode and so we're going to leave it right now with this question what is emdr therapy and after we start the next episode we're going to answer that with anna cardona stay tuned guys don't go anywhere Thanks for joining us this week on Cindy's Voice. If you like what you're listening to, like our YouTube channel, Cindy's Voice Podcast, and give us a five-star review. This means everything to us. Follow us on Instagram at Cindy V. Rivero to receive updates on our latest episode. See you in our next episode. Till then, have a great week.